You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 264 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast coming to you on May 17th. Raj, we finally did the thing with all comics considered. It's done. We never have to talk to those bastards again. You mean they never get to talk to us? <laughs> yeah, well, regardless of how you spin it. <laughs> Screw you, Marty. We're done. Yes, for those of you who missed it, we actually released two episodes this week. Issue 263 came out on Monday. It was the first part of our Civil War crossover with uh, part two being found over on All Comics Considered. And since we are great at planning ahead, I always knew that we were going to record another episode this week. And I absolutely had something laid out to talk about. You did. It was not last minute. Not none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. It gave me time Mm -hmm. to read the comics. So as for what I was able to pull out of my butt, <laughs> thought we'd take a look at a couple of new number ones that came out over the past couple of weeks. The first one from IDW is the new Dungeons and Dragons miniseries, Shadows of the Vampire, written by Jim Zub, art by Dan- or Nelson Daniel. It's the second miniseries that Zub has written for IDW coming out of the Legends of Baldur's Gate miniseries, which I'm assuming you didn't read. The Legends one, you mean, or this one here? The Legends one. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I read the Legends one. Okay. And with only a passing familiarity with D&D in general, how did you how did you feel about this issue? Like, were it. you able to keep up? Oh, well, yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's a D&D party. So mm-hmm. I, I know those mechanics. I know gaming mechanics. So, right. Uh, and that's what they always pull on for these if they know what they're doing and they want to have fun. And that's, that's a lot of what this was. So, no, I was able to follow along. And I played Neverwinter Nights like way back in the day. So it was nice seeing the this. Yeah. I mean, if somebody knows who Minsk is, that's a pretty good stepping stone for being able to appreciate this because I mean, he's by far the central character, not necessarily of the narrative, but at least of the on-page action because he's just such an over-the-top individual. He's going to steal a lot of scenes. That being said, the other characters were all well-written, mm-hmm. enough so that I didn't feel – with the exception of the hamster, <laughs> I didn't feel that any one person really was actually stealing the scenes. It was very well done. I mean, there were a couple that were a little bit more subtle, but overall, it it fit. Oh, yeah, everybody so that, still got their cool moments. Yeah, it, it fit. It was, it was well done. Yeah, so along with Minsk, we have Kreidel the Rogue, Shandy the Halfling, and Delina the Sorceress. And I love that this – it's kind of like when we talked about that other D&D series that it's so indicative of how an actual campaign plays out insofar as you have the adventurers wandering into town taking a crappy job for way too little pay because it's all they can get. <laughs> I love that their payment is actually only you know once they die. Well, let's be honest. As an adventurer in a Dungeons & Dragons universe, that's probably sooner rather than later. For these guys, yes. <laughs> yeah, so they're hired by the Church of Kelimvor, the god of the dead, who the church is being waylaid at night by mysterious assailants. And they're joined by Neris, a death cleric. And this is one thing I do enjoy a lot about a lot of modern D&D fiction, as well as the, the game itself, is that they're really playing up a lot of 
non-traditional character archetypes. Like when everybody thinks of a D&D cleric, they think of, you know, Warhammer, healing magic, you know, that's about that. But especially with modern D&D, there are so many different flavors that you can take that same character archetype with. And I love that they're really branching that out in the fiction as well. They're not sticking with the tried and true. Yep, agreed. And we didn't get to see a whole ton of her, but the bits we saw of her, she was pretty badass. Well, it's setting it up. It seems like that she'll be joining the party kind of deal. So yeah, of that's course. the impression I get. So it's it's well set up that you have a character that doesn't want to deal with them that eventually is going to group up with them. Mm-hmm. So we come to find out that the church is being attacked by werewolves who abduct Neris and, oh my God, boo. <laughs> Once the heroes track down the werewolves, they're actually transported away to the mystical realm of Barovia. And this is where the story is tying in with the latest D&D adventure book that came out, The Curse of Strahd. And it's going to be a very gothic horror vampire story, which is going to be a cool setting to put these characters in because this isn't the type of setting these characters were really made for fictionally. So it's going to be to see how they play against a different archetype. I again, and I think that Zub was a good choice for this because, like he was saying in his little blurb at the end too, how mixing humor with with horror is is a good fit if mm-hmm. done properly. You can have a lot of fun with those moments where you need to break that tension. Yeah, because there's always two types of groups that play in a Ravenloft game. You have the group that knows they're playing Ravenloft, so they make a bunch of clerics and paladins and vampire hunters and stuff. And then you have the groups that just do their normal weird crap and end up in that world. And the latter is always the more entertaining of the bunch. I want to see where Sir Reginald in there. <laughs> that would that be can be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. So yeah, definitely uh, looking forward to where this is going. Uh, it's gonna, I think it's just going to be a miniseries like Legends of Baldur's Gate was, but uh, that's great. That's fine. I got to say, though, I wasn't super crazy about the art, especially because uh, Max Dunbar did such a phenomenal job on the artwork with uh, Baldur's Gate. That this uh, it, For me, it was a step back. Like It wasn't bad. It was just not as good as it's been previously. That's the thing that's important to note. It's not that it was bad because I mm-hmm. certainly didn't think that it was bad at all. It's just if you're comparing it to something that was incredible, then, yeah, you're going to be a little disappointed. But I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, it's, it's, if if they hadn't put like the, the cover gallery at the back, like reminding me of how good Dunbar's yeah. art was, yeah. it wouldn't have bothered me. But then I saw that, I was like, oh, that's right. Paulter's Kate was freaking gorgeous. <laughs> So the next one I lined up is the beginning of the new summer event from Valiant Comics, and that's 4001 AD, written by Matt Kent, art by Clayton Crane and David Mack. And this was another interesting one that I wanted to get your opinion on because you're vaguely familiar with the concept of the Valiant universe, but I know you don't really read any of the comics. And even myself, I read some of the Valiant stuff, but I haven't been reading the ones that are leading into this series. So a lot of this is even me approaching it with fresh eyes. How did you feel about this? For the most part, it made no sense. For, okay. For me. It, it just, made enough sense for me that I was able to fill in the pieces. I mean, it made sense in terms of the the obvious stuff that's going on. And then from there, I have to extrapolate what I figure it's based on. But there's not nearly enough information for the new person going in. And like my knowledge of Valiant Comics is 
really limited. It's limited to what we've done on the show. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I haven't touched any of this stuff at all. Now, that being said, I it made me curious enough and interested that I would like to see the stuff that leads up to this to see whether or not it's something that I can enjoy that story arc. Cause mm-hmm. again, I like the story that's being told. I like for the most part how it's being told and the art was spectacular. So oh, yeah, Clayton had, Crane, I adore his artwork when he has a good colorist with him and he did here. It had a lot of things going for it. There was just too many things that for someone with absolutely no previous knowledge was you're asking far too much of us. Especially at the tail end when they're down on Earth and they throw in a lot of stuff that they expect readers to recognize from other Valiant comics that, you know, somebody who doesn't have that experience, it would be very much out of nowhere. (laughs) It's not just the end. It was the beginning as well. I mean, they're setting it up, but they're not saying, okay, well, is this like a computer entity? Is this an alien entity? Is this a There was an entire four-page recap that I felt did a good job for me of... That's what I'm looking at and that's what I'm saying. As someone with no knowledge, no, it did not. Because again, I'm going right back to what I just said. Is this a god? Is this an AI? Is this an alien? Is this – like it's not said what it is. I I thought it was pretty explicitly said it was an AI. No, it didn't. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Uh has a great ruler, and New Japan is no different. They call him father. Uh, oh, yeah, an artificial intelligent. The guy, okay, did. I apologize. <laughs> I, I was loopy on pain meds when I, I read the two, which Listen, didn't help. I, I read it twice. And I, I love the style of those recap pages. The Japanese yes. watercolor artwork was gorgeous. I, I want to see more of that, you know, not as a running theme, but, you know, maybe one or two pages at the beginning of each issue because it's it's a really cool effect. Yeah. Though, once again, I I didn't find it clear enough. Obviously, if I missed that, and, and it, I'm not just going to blame the, the painkillers for this, because like I said, I, I was reading it last night and then I was going over it again today. It, I, I just did not feel it was nearly clear enough for new readers. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, I'm not going to debate that with you because I don't have that particular uh, perspective myself. Yeah. But what we get here, we are, of course, in the year 4001, far, far, far future, where the story is set in New Japan, the former actual island of Japan, floating above Earth as a satellite. (laughs) It's ludicrous, but like I said, I like ludicrous stuff from time to time. Led by an artificial intelligence by the name of Father, the main character throughout uh, his own series, it's called Rai, is a humanoid or humanoid. It, it was never really explained exactly what it is. Some sort of combination of human genetics and some sort of artificial stuff. I'm, I would assume if you read the series, you get a better explanation of that. But like I said, I haven't been reading his series itself. Uh, he turned against father when he found out that his mother was killed to bring him about. And he was cast out of New Japan down to earth. Right before we pick up here in the miniseries, uh, Rai's friend, a teenage girl by the name of Lula, had infected the father with a virus and in order to combat the virus he realized he could not 
also run New Japan. So he's been launching bits of it into space to burn up on reentry. But you do get some really interesting, like, socioeconomic storytelling here where, you know, he's not just launching things out at randomly. He's launching out, you know, the poor people, the ones, the non-desirables. So there's a potential for not necessarily original storytelling, but interesting storytelling at least. Yeah, but I'm going to keep going back to as someone with so little knowledge, existing knowledge, like mm-hmm. the whole thing with the dinosaurs. You can't just shove dinosaurs <laughs> in 4,000 AD I, I was somewhere. caught off guard by the dinosaurs as well. Yeah, and it's like, well, what the hell is that all about? And then I also found that there were – and I'm going to assume this was on purpose – and I and it's by no means meant as an offense to anyone's beliefs, but there were too many ties to Christianity with it, with the God and the sun and the sun being cast down and different mm. things like that. And it was like, I, I would have liked something a little bit more original there. Yeah, I didn't really pick up on that, but now that you mention it, I'll give it another look. Yeah, beyond that, it's a bunch of valiant stuff of Rai down on Earth. You know, he's there with Galad, the Eternal Warrior, somebody you know that you're supposed to recognize. He finds an Exo armor, which you're supposed to recognize. So yeah, I, I can assume that a lot of the latter half of the comic was just random things being thrown at you out of nowhere. I was used to that at that point. <laughs> but then again, it did end with the space station transforming into a giant dragon to fight the giant suit of armor. So guess how I felt about it? Which was pretty goddamn awesome. That, <laughs> the visual alone was worth yes. it for that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen much of Clayton Crane in a while because, you know, he's been doing the Rye comic in Valiant. But God, when he's like on point and he has a good colorist working with him that can really highlight and detail what he's working on, he is absolutely amazing. And artistically, this issue did not disappoint at all. I will just point blank say this is one of the best looking single issues that I've seen in a very long time. And that's pitting it against, you know, the ones that I love, the Ramus, the Piccolos, the, you know, all of those people. Like this is spectacularly beautiful, just yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, sorry. I realize I may have undersold it a bit. Yeah, it's phenomenal. When you're looking at that two panel spread where he turns into the dragon. (laughs) Yeah, that you're just speechless. It's like, oh, my God. And you can see all of the details in the little parts of the city and everything. It was just amazing. <laughs> and you know what? That's how you hook new readers to pick up the second issue of yeah. the miniseries. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and one thing I do like about this, I think I was talking uh, – some one of the episodes I was on with Marty, I forget if it was here or there or whatever, about how they're handling this big crossover because this is their big summer event at Valiant. You have this four issue miniseries, you have the ongoing Rye series, which of course is going to tie in with this, and then you have a single one shot coming out every month, like detailing what's happened to you know some of the more prominent Valiant comic uh, characters in the past two thousand years, and that's it. Everything else that's going on is continuing with its regular storylines. They're not tying into this at all. So if you're enjoying a comic and don't care about the 4001 event, you can continue enjoying that comic. 
But if you do want to really get into the 4001 event, you're looking at at most three comics a month. And that's cool. That's that's what big events should be. Yeah, I agree. That's really well done. This Rye series, how how many issues are there in it Issue so far? 13 actually comes out tomorrow. So, so not, not much. a lot. I think I'm going to be checking those out. I, I might give it another go. I remember the first issue came out and like, I forget, like the art was too busy or maybe there was like too much narration. I just remember like looking at it and it was a bit too much going on. But so I, I definitely want to give it another shot as well. Is everything leading up to this 4001 strictly from the Rye series? Yes, the, the Rye series starts in the year 4000. Okay, I got to definitely read this. Now. And like I said, none of the rest of the Valiant universe narratively leads to this, but is that it's a universe. So, you know, that armor that he picked up is something from another comic, but it's just obviously the character in that other comic isn't still alive 2000 years later. Oh, so like, cool. there, like there's that. ties to the rest of the universe and what's going on, but nothing that you would need to read per se. Kind of like Batman Beyond. Yeah. Which I hate to use a DC example, but it's Batman Beyond. So I yeah, like if you know a lot more about the DC universe, you get more yeah. out of Batman Beyond, but it's not necessary. You can appreciate it for what it is on its own. Okay, I'm definitely picking up those those issues. I, I would like to know more going into it so that I can enjoy it because there was a lot of cool stuff in this still. Mm -hmm. And then that's what a big event is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a big, you know, banner thing going on that attracts new readers and maybe gets them to pick up the other books once the event is done. Yeah. So I... Again, I, I continue to praise what Valiant does as a publisher. <laughs> as for what else we've been reading, I a pretty small list for me over the past few weeks, but I did really enjoy the latest issue of Black Panther. Oh, I didn't read it yet. Continuing to build on the themes that we saw in the first issue. <laughs> it's actually really interesting that so little of the narrative focuses on T'Challa. Like even the scenes where he's the central character and the narrator, it's never really about him. It's about Wakanda and how the Wakandan people are reacting to him and really, really good stuff going on there. And it was actually interestingly just announced yesterday, I think, that Black Panther issue one is the highest selling comic of the year from any nice. publisher. Very nice. By like a ludicrous amount. It's up to like 275,000 copies. I, I don't think it deserves quite that. I, let me rephrase. I don't think the issue was that good that mm -hmm. it should be that high. But I think that a Black Panther comic definitely deserves it. A lot of it has to do with the fact that Black Panther hasn't had a solo title since I want to say like 2006. So people are really like excited fans of the character as well as bringing in a lot of new readers like there's been a lot of reports from various comic shops and again this is physical copies this isn't counting digital yeah <laughs> like a lot of comic shops saying people come in to buy this comic we've never seen them before and reports from issue two that the sales were just as strong so i mean obviously you always have that dip from issue one to issue two but it's not so much that typical comic thing of everybody just ran out to buy issue one because it has a number one on the cover yeah. a lot a lot of people are sticking around good beyond that i read the second issue of the fix which yes i love this comic <laughs> it is so ridiculous but hilarious like it's not like over the top like slapsticky but these guys are the worst criminals and i love it <laughs> worst as in they suck at their jobs but also 
they're just terrible people. <laughs> so when they get themselves into these ludicrous situations, you enjoy the comedy for what it is, but you also enjoy seeing bad things happen to bad people. <laughs> I The second issue is actually a lot stronger than the first issue for me. So I, I'm actually on this for the long haul now. Cool. And then what did you have for us this week? I can't believe I'm saying this. But I really like Gwenpool. Okay? I knew you were going to say Gwenpool. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. It's freaking good, which is, I mean, anybody who's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows my opinion of Deadpool and how in the right writer's hands, certainly we can have some fun with it. But overall, not a fan. This it kind of feels like Deadpool, but kind of doesn't. Now, before I even go any further. It's a satire of a satire. It right? kind of is, yeah. But, I mean, it 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 looks at Deadpool and says, oh, you want to break the fourth wall? Pfft, not good enough. We need more walls. This is going to, to just freaking, I'm going through every wall there is. Because she's essentially from our universe, not the our Marvel canon universe. No, no, us, me, you. She's from <laughs> our universe. Like when she is trying to figure out who female Thor is that she's fighting against quite hysterically, she's like, oh, who is that? And she's going, Natalie Portman played her. What, who is that? <laughs> and so there's these references to, again, us. And she's saying, oh, she's just, she doesn't know how, but she was... She's in a comic book and she realizes that and she knows all that her quote unquote superpower is knowing everybody's secrets, knowing Genre everything awareness. because she knows all of these people. Like she screams out Jane to Thor at one point and that panel was spectacular. Oh my God. That was, that was funny as hell. But it's what I like is that it's not. This goofy adult male who, let's be honest, far too often it feels like he's trying too hard or the writers are trying too hard. This is a goofy teenage girl and and really, really goofy and unbalanced, let's be honest. She, she left her meds in our universe. She didn't bring them along. Because <laughs> some of the things is just ridiculous. But she understands that. There's very few things that'll kill her. So she's jumping off roofs and loving that she's not getting hurt. <laughs> and she's she's fighting against everyone. And then it, it kind of plays with some of the tropes as well. Like not being able to shoot worth a damn and different things like that. I read there was an issue zero and an issue number two. The zero one was with Howard the Duck, which we all know my opinion of Howard the Duck comments as well. Again, not for me, but this worked. It just, it was fun. It was funny. The character just, she makes me smile and laugh. And that's saying a lot. And it's just, again, I really dig it. I, the artwork in that Zero Issue was, it was good, I will say, but it wasn't the same as what we got out of the um, issue number two. Who did the art in this? Uh, we'll take so you this. keep saying issue zero and issue two. Was there an actual issue one or is this just Marvel goofing? No, there was an issue one 
and then the issue zero came out afterward, and then the issue <laughs> two came out after that. I'm not even mad. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. The issue zero also has some other stories at the back, again, with really good art. I just wasn't a fan of the main story with Howard the Duck in that zero. Um, who the hell did the art? Uh, oh, my God. Gurihiru. <laughs> no, seriously, that's the name. G-U-R-I-H-I-R-U. Don't expect me to get that right the first time or second time. But that was the art that I, I liked, actually. That was at the end of um, issue zero. And I'm looking at issue two. Who did the art on this? Because this one was... God, I love the art on this. It's The art is... It looks... It's that guy again, or woman. Giri, Giri Hiru did the art on the other one. It's just... It looks really, really good, um, but it's also got this irreverent, funny style to it as well that lends itself to the character. It almost looks like it's taking uh, taken out of like a, an animated show at points. It, it just kind of has that style. Anyways, you got to read some of these and tell me what you think. If it's just me being stupid in my old age or if it actually is as good as I think it is, but I'm loving this thing. All right, I think you've sold me at this point. It will, especially with the female Thor showing up. You have to read it just for that. It's worth it. But read number one as well. Read them all, all three of them. <laughs> Seriously, it's worth it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, in terms of TV shows, when we talked last week and we were talking about the Civil War and Shield and if there'd be any fallout and whatnot, I, I hadn't watched the one from last week yet and then I watched it afterwards and there was more Civil War stuff going on there so they kind of tied it in more to the the TV show than the movie tied in with the TV show kind of thing so and that was cool that was fine it's the that episode was actually fairly good as well really really enjoyed it quite a bit like things are coming to a head and really has me excited for the finale this week so yeah it was pretty cool yeah, I think it was Nick made a good point. We were talking about that, that the movies are written so far in advance, they really can't react to what the show is doing, but it can work the other way around pretty well. Yeah, well, actually, I was saying that, too, because I was uh, listening to that interview with the screenwriters who were saying just that. So it's again, it's it's building up really nicely. And I kind of like what's going on with the characters, especially. So it it is really it's doing a good job getting me I, excited more so than it has for, say, the middle of the season. I didn't think was quite as good. Beginning was very good. Middle, but it's ramping up really, really well. It's good to hear because, yeah, it, it kind of lost me in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And that's it for me. All right, then. This week's new release list is pretty short. We have from Marvel, all new Wolverine number eight, Civil War two, number zero, Old Man Logan number six, Power Man and Iron Fist number four and Spider-Man number four. From Image, we've got Invincible number 128 and Manifest Destiny number 19. From Dynamite Comics, Dresden Files, Wildcard number two. Apparently, I missed the first issue, so something to go back and look for. Yeah, no kidding. We have a trio of new comics from IDW, Archangel, Biggest Bang, and Brutal Nature. With it being an otherwise pretty small release week, maybe check out one or more of those. And then from Valiant, we have issue 13 of Rye, as well as Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, number seven. 
And that's going to wrap us up here. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. As we mentioned at the beginning, we actually did two episodes this week. So if you missed issue, missed issue 263, go back and check that one out. And then also pop over to All Comics Considered for the second half of that episode. And let us know what you thought about them, too. Leave yeah, us some absolutely. comments on let, ours let as know. well. Don't as tell them. them. Well, I was trying to be nice there. but <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Screw those bastards. But that's going to wrap us up here. So until next week, thanks for listening. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.